Welcome to the Working Hands Podcast. I'm your host, Tony of Woodland Iron, joined by Keith of Blackthorn Concepts and Chad of Chad's Custom Creations. How are you guys this week? Good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Everyone staying healthy? Yeah. Yeah, you guys down there? So-so. I've been a little under the weather, but I haven't died yet, so so far so good. Well, that's that's a good mark to, to keep. <laughs> haven't yeah, died right? yet. It, is. it means I can keep running my business and, you know, paying the bills and all that. Because, you know, once you do this, if you get into a car accident or something like that, you kind of, you're up, up the creek without a paddle. And uh, I thought it might be interesting to talk a little bit today about what it would take to kind of get started in the different fields that we do. Me being kind of the digital fab, Tony being the blacksmithing. And Keith, being our resident token woodworker, um, do any of you guys want to kind of tell me about what would the well, first, start? Let's of- use that woodworker term loosely, <laughs> very loosely. But yes, definitely. So, Keith, why don't you start us off? What does it take to be a woodworker? What kind of tools, equipment, uh, even just like the space? What kind of space and all that? What what goes into becoming a woodworker? Well. That depends on a lot of things. I didn't know we were going to define woodworking here. Oh, yeah, we are. Most certainly. I thought it was just minimum tools to start working wood. Well, that's too. two totally different questions, Chad. <laughs> well, you answer the question however you want. I was just trying to set it up for you. Well, I, I don't, I don't want to leave any false hope out there and get the trolls going. But, yeah, I, I, essentially, to, to work wood, all you really need is a chisel. Everything... To work wood is just a chisel. And a pocket hole jig, right? Oh, you're not a woodworker unless you have a pocket hole jig. <laughs> Come on now. Hey, there's no shame in it. That's that's where I started, and I think that it still has a place every now and then. Now, there's a lot. Um, I mean, I guess there's a lot you need, and, and the tropey answer to get started on woodworking is, is whatever tools you need for the job you need to do, mm. which is not an answer that answers the question. Um, but I would say a saw doesn't matter what kind, but you definitely need a saw. But yeah, I guess you would need a saw. Really? That's all you need? Some glue? Like Elmer's what else glue? do you really need? Wood, I mean, you know what I'm saying. Was well, there specific glue for, for wood? You got you to understand, I'm a digital fab guy. I don't even know anything about woodworking. So help me wow, out. You want what me to you? list every tool possible that you would need? Get, or get do you me. want to list... Get me, what do I need to build something basic that I could sell? Uh, you, some people just use a chainsaw. That's what I mean. Oh. Do you think a, a, wood, a guy who carves an eagle out of a trunk of a tree is any less of a woodworker than one who makes, you know, a Sam Maloof-style rocker? No, definitely not. They're both craftsmen. The tools are so broad. So I, I would say, depending on what you need, you would need a saw. If you're going to do joinery, you need some sort of joiner adhesive whether it be mechanical or glue really it comes down to just the saw if you want to make nice stuff you're probably gonna need sandpaper you want to do hand tools or power tools it's a loaded question very loaded question well, that should give you lots to talk about then but i guess to build your basic wood shop you would need a table saw uh some sort of way to sand stuff and you could probably get away with everything on a table saw for most things i guess you could start a business with just a table saw. You know what you're doing. 
So if you had a choice, let me give you a this or that, either a table saw or a circular saw with a drill. What are you going to go with? Table saw. Okay. But that's a loaded question because I have used the table saw for years. I, I know what it can do and how to use it. Most people who are starting, maybe a circular saw works or a track saw, you know, would be the mix between a circular saw and a table saw. I think that, I think I would go with you as well at this point, but if I was just starting out, not having a drill would scare me. Like for a beginner, I feel like that kind of joinery with mechanical fasteners. So you're, yeah, but let's just say your latest project, right? Yes. You put together a sign. I don't Mm -hmm. know if it's out in public yet, but I know about it. He put together a sign with uh, old barn wood. And then you digitally fab some letters on there, right? Yes. But you jointed everything, which you could joint on a table saw. Then you this glued it all up together. I don't remember seeing any screw or any reason to have a drill there. And would you say that's a full woodworking project? <sighs> I don't know. I think the preparing the lumber felt like a woodworker kind of thing. Taking that that rough stuff that wouldn't... oh, it's very much a maker project. I I get what you're saying, mm-hmm. but you could build a lot of stuff without a drill. But then again, you could build a lot with a drill. It all depends on the type of joinery you want to use. That is true. I think if would if you I consider was... would you consider somebody who just screws everything together a woodworker? If they were building furniture, yeah. Well, why? I mean, why does it have to be furniture? Well, if they were making cutting boards with screws, I'd probably think that they have a screw loose. <laughs> really, though? I mean, you could, if you had a thick enough a thick enough yeah. board, you, you're really not going to have screws near what you're working on. I could probably make a cutting board with screws, and you wouldn't see any screws. <sighs> this is crazy talk. You're going to put screws in a cutting board? <laughs> No, I, <laughs> this is blasphemy. I quit. <laughs> but technically, I don't even make cutting boards. Sure. I have. I don't. And I won't mm. again. Yeah. Hopefully, it, as long as I can keep that going. I was just trying to think of the most ridiculous thing possible to use screws on. That's kind of where my mind went there. But like if I was doing like here, this is where I started as a woodworker was with Anna White furniture. We moved into a house. We had no furniture. Then you use screws. Yeah, we used screws, we used uh, chop saw, two by fours, all that. I didn't have a jointer, I didn't have a planer. It was the basic Yeah, but are we going with the minimal amount of tools <laughs> to start? That was how you prefaced it. Well, actually, you said the minimal amount to become a woodworker, which was not what was You're right, that is too prior. loaded. That is but the minimum loaded. amount of tools to become, uh, to do woodworking, I would say would either be, one, a chisel, or if you want to go power tool, buy a table saw. All right. I think you could do more on a table saw than you could any of the others. Oh, maybe a bandsaw. A bandsaw would be a good one. Because with that, you can, you can create your curved cuts. Yeah, because you can, you can then build off of that and become more, more from that one tool. That's what you're getting at. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying you're not building jigs to work on different things. But, I mean, you could essentially turn a table saw into a lathe if you're so inclined well, yeah, that's the to be same. like an Izzy Swan type deal. Yeah, like you have to he uses a drill. If you're starting with minimal stuff, you're gonna have to get <laughs> creative. <does> use... 
<laughs> he doesn't count. <laughs> that is that is interesting though. If you had a like, let's say the most perfect bandsaw versus the most perfect table saw, I've never had a good bandsaw. All my bandsaws suck. I feel like if I had a perfect bandsaw, I maybe would go that route first. At least I would, just because I know I would be able to do those curved cuts. I, I mean, if we're talking true beginners, right? A bandsaw is the probably the easier option to get started on. Mm-hmm. It's the safer option, you know. When you're teaching woodworking, it should be the first power tool, stationary power tool that you put your students in front of would be a bandsaw. Well, technically a scroll saw, but they're hard to come by these days. Hmm. No. But, I mean, if you only had one tool or a couple tools, I would say a table saw, a drill set, um, a sander, and that's about it. And I do like what you said earlier, is the project that you're working on kind of dictates the tools. And I think that's probably how you've built your tool set as well. Same for me. You get a project from somebody, you don't have the tool that maybe makes it more easy or accessible. And that's where maybe more tools would start to come in. And I think that's a good way to go for somebody that was starting out, whether they start with a bandsaw or a table saw later on, if they needed more tools, they could start accumulating down that path. Yeah, but there's, and this is probably going to drop your jaw, but there's only so many tools you really need in a way. You know, <laughs> blasphemy. <laughs> I quit again. I need all of the tools. And you know what? I need multiple. I need multiple. I mean, I mean if you're, if you're just a power tool user and you're going to put everything together with power tools, you get away with a joiner, planer, table saw, band saw, drill driver set, and some clamps. And you could build a lot. You could build 90% of things. If you want to take it one step further, maybe a lathe, a small lathe. And you could build a lot, a lot with all that. You know, you don't need every hand tool, you know, yeah, you certainly don't need every, every, every red branded measuring device out there. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. That pretty much covers it. You've got your straight cuts there. You've got your clamps where you can join wood back together. You can um, do your curved cuts. As long as you cover those basic kind of situations, you don't need a full entire shop full of everything. My shop has all that stuff. I have a lot of hand tools. That's where most of mine is. And random odds and ends. But I have a small I have a small lathe. I have uh, two band saws, a table saw, planer, joiner, and uh, I have a drill press. And that's pretty much all my power tools. And a track saw. It keeps going and going. You're starting. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> No, but that's, but after, I mean, that's after years and years. And, and I yeah. think what it comes down to is you gain efficiency. You gain time with kind of each upgrade as you go as well. Like you didn't need that track saw. You can do the same thing with a circular saw and a straight edge, but it, it increases efficiency, accuracy. To be honest with you, the only reason I have a track saw is my limited space. Mm-hmm. Uh, before I had the track saw, I was dragging a 1930s Walker Turner 400-pound saw out into the driveway to cut down sheet goods Oof. and then rolling everything back in into the shop. That, that's because you don't have like the outfeed space? I didn't have the outfeed space. I that's didn't even have the space to the side like, to cross-cut. So, I mean, I had a circular saw before that, and I used to use a straight edge. I didn't need a track saw. 
but somebody here talked me into buying a track saw. So thanks, Chad. <laughs> and I bet you don't regret. It definitely it wasn't me at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I don't regret it, but I don't need it. You know, if you. Ha- but um, I also could have had uh, the big box stores cut down sheet goods for me. You know, Ugh, I have to wait for them, and then they never cut on the line where they say they're going to. <laughs> and it's never straight. When was the last time that that panel saw was ever adjusted? Never. Never. I saw I saw one guy that paid attention to the code that they typed in. He memorized it. So anytime he needs to cut down his sheet goods, he just go types in the codes and cuts his own sheet goods. <laughs> he doesn't wait. He doesn't call for anyone. <laughs> Again, Tony, did you talk to that lawyer? Did he get that voice? The opinions of of Chad are not that. Oh, we're going to have to talk to podcast? him. <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely. Hopefully he's a real fast talker so we can squeeze it in here. But yeah, I mean, it really depends on your skill with each each tool. You know, I've seen masters at the table saw that could make, you know, a ton of stuff without any other tool or the bandsaw even, you know, there's people who only use a bandsaw for the, the entirety of their woodworking. Mm-hmm. And it's like, like I asked earlier, I said woodworking and you're right. It's a loaded question because woodworking is such a broad spectrum of different, different yeah, techniques. A woodworker could tools. be a wood turner and he doesn't need anything Wait, except for his lathe. Okay. Well, I'm j- I just mean he doesn't need all this other stuff. He could just go get a chunk of wood from the woods and turn it and he's fine, you know? I mean, in theory, he needs to chop that wood down so it fits on his lathe and all that. But you could, in theory, find that wood that size. Does he need a there, drill to attach it to the, the faceplate? Oh, let's not get nitpicky here. <laughs> a screwdriver. But there used to be a TV show. I think it was called The Router Shop. I've heard about yeah. this. And they built everything with routers. It's terrifying. Everything. <laughs> Only routers. How is this possible? Everything yeah. was a router. So like he set up, he was using it as a table saw, basically. Like he put a fence and was making straight cuts with, with a straight bit or. I have never seen the show. I have only heard about it. I've never looked it up. I just know that it is true. It did happen. It is a real thing. I mean, it oh, is. I know what I'm looking for. Yeah. Like you said earlier, you need a chisel. It's basically a spinning chisel, right? So. Well, every, every woodworking tool is just a chisel. It's either a chisel on a band coming down on a bandsaw. Chisels attached to a disc on the table saw or circular saw. Chisels on a blade with a handle on the end you use as a hand saw. They're all just chisels. Chisels in a paint can, opening the paint. Oh, that's the number one use for a chisel. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you don't have any more things to add to the minimum startup tools for a woodworker. I mean, do you have any? You work the wood. I'm not the only one here. I think if like, I'll, I'll, I'll be devil's advocate, I'll, I'll choose different than what you chose. If I was to say, if someone came to me and said, Hey, I want to be a woodworker, what should I get? I would send them to one of those packaged kits, the kits that come with the circular saw, the, the jigsaw, the two drills. So you got the drill and the impact driver. And sometimes they even come with a random orbit sander. I'd say, Hey, I know it's, it's a lot. It's probably 600, $800 to get the good kit. But that's, you can do anything with all those tools. It's not stationary like a table saw, but essentially you should be able to do everything with the, that, that kit there. Everything is not done with that kit there. 
Name one thing I can't do with my kit. Of a drill driver, a circular saw, and a sander? I said jigsaw as well. That's included. And the flashlight. Don't forget the flashlight. Oh, I didn't hear the flashlight. Yes, you could do with anything with that. <laughs> Even There's probably night, a radio, uh, too. Yeah, I was going to say, does <laughs> it have the portable radio? Yes, and it comes with one battery for all those tools. <laughs> yeah. Batteries cost Can you do a whole project off of one battery? Well, I might have to charge it while I go get lunch. I know this doesn't work for uh, uh, Tony, but we should do a day where we discuss whether or not it should be battery or corded. I have a strong opinion on that. Oh, that works for me, too. I, mm. I have both in the shop. Here we go. Tony builds things with wood, too. He doesn't like to admit it, but he does. No, that's I for know, metal. I know this. <laughs> I, know, I know that he uses wood. Because he has a wooden shop that he fixed up on his own, and he owns a table saw. So what other woodworking tools do you own? And then we'll get down to whether or not he's a woodworker with what he does for that. So what do I own for woodworking? I have circular saw, battery, circular saw, drill driver, battery, um, sliding miter. I don't even have inch. that. Yeah, I've got a 10-inch sliding miter. Uh... Yeah, just like the contractor, like job site saw, table saw. What else? Oh, and I have a Stanley plane <laughs> that I picked up in Maine one, one on vacation. I got like a number five or number six plane. Well, that, makes, that makes you I a really need right to there. sharpen. This big or that big? Like, it's a number say five. 12. It's a number five. Yeah. 12 inch bed or slide or whatever you want to call it. It's a, it's a jack plane. They're, they're good. Sharpen it up. Yeah, that's where my skill level fails me. <laughs> so, I don't know. I mean, there's a big, a great debate of what constitutes you being, not you, Tony, but in general, somebody being a woodworker. You know, can you be a woodworker if what you're producing, you produced on that, on that DIY kit, you know, that Chad was talking about? Absolutely. I think you could be. I mean, I think it comes down, well, it doesn't even come down to the quality of the work that you do. I mean, it's just the work. Like, if it's wood and it's, done by well doesn't even have to be done by hand in the end it's still woodwork okay are you working the wood at least that's the thought i mean so as long get... as you cut wood you're a woodworker <laughs> yeah it's one of those questions that'll never be answered because everybody's got a different opinion yeah i think it comes down to a subtitle too like would you consider yourself a beginner intermediate expert you know i don't think somebody with one of those combo kits is going to claim that they're an expert creating Sam Maloof chairs or anything like that. Not that they couldn't, but they probably So in photography, they used to take like the, the professional photographers and they would have a challenge where they would give them, uh, they would take away all of their gear and give them a disposable camera and send them out. And they'd have to go out and produce, you know, professional quality images with a disposable camera. So they didn't have control over anything, and they still killed it. What do you think the equivalent of that for whether metalworking or woodworking or whatever, what would be an equivalent to that on our side of that table? Like if you took a Sam Maloof, let's just say he was still alive, right? And you said, okay, you think you're a good woodworker. I'm going to take away all your tools, and I'm going to give you, or somebody who is, like a Philip Morley or whoever you think is the best woodworker out there now, Mark Spagnola, whoever. Right, he's gonna love that. Not that they're the best. I'm just saying these guys that we all know, right? 
and you give them a limited amount of tools, what would be the tools you would give these guys? I don't know the equivalent people in the blacksmith world, Tony, but <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know what you'd give them for tools. Um, because I think if we could get these down to what you would give them, that's the minimum you need to be a woodworker. Well, I think you're, I think you're right on, at least I'm on track with you, like with the, just the table saw and maybe a couple little things aside from that. Like it seems, cause you think about it in the, in the terms of a digital camera, I mean, versus, you know, your higher end stuff, like it still takes a picture, still like takes a picture when you want it to, like I, you can, you can't adjust anything, but you've, you've still got, as long as you know how to compose a shot, you can figure out how to make it look good on that. Like it's just what you talked about with like jigs and that, like if you can figure out a jig to make it do what you want on a table saw, that proves to me you've got, you've got some skills. The rest of it becomes like you said, Chad was, it comes to efficiency. Like, yeah, I can, I can wail away on an anvil all day and make something, but the second I get a power hammer, I become more efficient. Does that make me less of a blacksmith because I have a power hammer? Like less skilled or maybe, or I, I don't think that it does. I think that it's just once you move on from beginner level, like getting your feet wet, like that's, and then starting, and if you try to make money with it, then you have to become more efficient because no one wants to pay, you know, a thousand bucks for an Adirondack chair that, you know, I don't know, just made in somebody's garage versus when you can actually get more efficient with it and make more and make, I guess, more for less money. But I don't know if that makes sense to you guys or not. Yeah, absolutely does. Makes perfect sense. So. Anywho, we're done with woodworking. (laughs) We wasted way too much time on that. Let's talk about some blacksmithing. All right. I guess I can lean in on this one. Um, So realistically for like a min startup as far as tools is you need fire you need something hard to put your work on and then you need something hard for to hit it with <laughs> that's what she said yeah sorry exactly. <laughs> sorry but i mean i mean but that comes down to like you've got your options with forges you can go with propane or solid fuel and and a lot of beginners i think the like the easiest and cheapest option is is solid fuel because it's just charcoal a pit and something to blow air into it so that you you can create you can get the get the heat that you need and then with like like your anvils a lot of people get hung up on it and i did too when i first started i was i was like oh i gotta get an anvil i gotta get an anvil like that's all i'm just i'm I'm not gonna start till i can find a nice anvil and that's i got hung up in that I, i played it played that game for a while but a lot of guys talk about um an anvil shaped object which is just essentially just a, a large block of steel and if it's got a straight edge on it that you can that you can work off of then it's all that's that's more than enough to do what you need to do um and then you need a hammer you need something to hit it with so and even that like you can go to any box store um grab a hammer uh, and just the only thing i would say with those is you just dress the face so that it's a little bit smoother so you don't have the hammer marks when you're when you first start because if you if you don't round over a new like if you if you buy a a machinist hammer or a small sledge like a two pound sledge kind of deal they generally have chamfers on them that are very sharp and that stuff all transmits into your workpiece so that you'll have these sharp curves and sharp edges 
that gets transmitted into your work when you're striking it. So you do need to dress a hammer before you start because you're going to fight. You're going to be cursing yourself as you go. So, and the big thing with that is like physically, no matter what size you are, you should start out with a lighter hammer because as you go and progress, you can, you can eventually get to the, you know, actually striking with a sledge or something, something heavier, but start out small because the worst thing you can do is start hammering on something and then end up with an elbow that hurts or a thumb that hurts or a wrist that hurts. And then you're just going to give up a lot of people, not everybody will, but a lot of people will give up on the craft because, you know, you know, it hurt. So I'm not going to do that anymore. So that, I mean, those are your big three. And I mean, you can go on for days and days about like other little things that you can get, but I mean, as you long missed as the best one, you missed the best one. What's that? If you can't hold it. You can't hit it. Uh, yeah. I mean, but you can get away without tongs. I, I was thinking that over when we talked about this topic. You can get away, but your pieces that you're working have to be much longer. Okay. Um, but that becomes like one of, like you talked about with the woodworking, like depends on what your, your project is, what tools you need. And if you start with these first three, then you go to build, build or build tongs after that. And then the, it's all open to you at that point. Once you've built a set of tongs to start working, um, then you can really, really open up the opportunities of what you can do in your shop because then you can hold it and you can hit it. <laughs> Something I really love I about love blacksmithing is that you can build your tools to further your craft. It's, I don't know if you guys have ever played Minecraft, but it's kind of the same thing. You yeah, it's cut down of, a tree yeah. and just keep building and building and building up. With woodworking, you can't really build too many tools. You can make jigs, but it's, it's really it, it's cool. The, it's, the same as a, it's the same idea as a jig because for me, like um, I haven't done it yet, but I, I intend to build my own chisels here at some point. Um, That's so cool. And like I've got some 4140 in the shop, so I've spent some money on some more expensive steels for that purpose of of chisel making and and you can there's a ton of different steels you can buy that was just what i happened happened to be available easily available to me that was like a higher carbon steel but like once you've got the forge anvil or anvil shaped object and hammers like and that you you've got your tongs made then the next thing is chisels because then what you you can just build from it because then you can build a chisel so you can cut stuff or that so that you can shape things a certain way or because there's a thousand different shapes you can put on a chisel. Like you can make your own touch marks. You can. Oh, these are ends. metal chisels. So you're actually chopping the metal with metal chisels. See, I was thinking you're making woodworking chisels. I was like, what is he doing that for? No, yeah, you can make, you can essentially make uh, a chisel to make so that you can, you can cut steel instead of, instead of using a drill or using a, a cutoff saw of any type. You can you can make a hot cut that you can put in your hardy hole that just Ooh. bevel it, heat your piece, and then wail away on it. And you can cut you can cut through steel and be very precise with it too. Like as long as the your hot cut's wide enough, you can be very precise in what you're doing. Really so cool. it's yeah, like like you say, it, it's a very it's it, it's fun because every little project kind of adds to something new. Like you can I'm trying to think of anything else that there would be. But yeah, like you can build every. From those three, you can build everything. I like that most blacksmiths go and make their own tongs, which is a pivotal part 
Yeah, and, and there's a lot of blacksmiths the out journey. there that, that that's what they say. That's your first that's your first project. Whether you've built up and got yourself the forge and anvil and all that stuff, like if you go take a class or go do something like that, or go to a local guy that that that, that does this, one of your first projects should be building a set of tongs. So it just makes it just opens everything up. Does a, a blacksmith starting out need to look into getting a heat treat oven, or is that not really? No, no, that's that heat treat becomes more of hammer makers, um, knife, 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 makers ma- knife makers, hammer makers, that kind of stuff. But then that becomes it depends on the quality of what you want to make. There are people that make great quality stuff without that. You don't need it. You absolutely don't need it, but at the same time, to make that higher level project, that's when being very precise about what you're building is when that stuff comes in. Because if you're building with known steel, then you should have you should know what your heat treat process is. So then that way, you have a heat treat oven that does that you can do that with. That makes makes life so much easier. And then you know the result. You know what kind of like rockwell you're going to get out of your knife when you when you finish. And, I, and I'm going to talk like I know what I'm talking about here. <laughs> so buckle up, guys. For our viewers that don't know, the heat treatment of the metals is to kind of change whether the metal is harder or softer. Um, where Tony just said Rockwell relates to the hardness of the metal. So the harder the metal gets, the more brittle it is. The softer the metal gets, the less brittle. Yeah? Does that make sense? Uh so like for a knife edge, you want it to be harder because it will hold its edge, but you don't really want the entire. Well, knife to be yeah. Tight. So that's the thing is going back to our favorite knife show. They never show the tempering process. They always show them doing the dunk, dunking it in the oil, doing the oh, quench. Oh, you're right. But they never, sh- unless you watch the beat the judges one. Okay. They never show the tempering. So that becomes. Why is that? Is that because it's not? It's boring. It's not, yeah, it's, it's just, just yeah. It's they stick it in the oven for a certain time, and then they they. It's not something that's done or a lot. But then it's also like tempering could be four hours. Could be yeah. It, it's a long period of time, and it's just. But they don't even mention it on the show, right? Because I've watched it a few times. I don't. I'm not a watcher of it. It's misleading. I've never seen it because they always do them. Do they leave it out? Yeah, but do they leave it out for? Do they leave it out because it doesn't matter to the story in the show, or do they leave it out because that's where Tony the knife maker has all of his secrets and when he puts it in, how long it's in for, the rate at which it comes down? Like, is that where the crown jewel of knife making or temper of blacksmithing comes into play? Like, is that where all the secrets happen? Uh, I can't. I, I don't. Uh... It's a good question. I just don't know. I don't know if I have a solid answer for it. Like, it. it I guess it would depend. Like, if if they have a show where it's you have a known steel, like they got a, like a like a forty one forty. Say that's what they were using. Um, you know, if they know that's what they're using, then they should know what the heat treatment should be. But I mean, their their first their first shot at the quench is done with a forge that's at forge welding temp when they're doing it so it's way over fired for what they're trying to do most of the time you don't need to be that hot they're just trying to get it up to temp 
really quickly and then putting it in the oil and then the whole thing of pulling the knife out of the oil while it's still hot just i've never done it but you can you can see over the time i've watched it it's just like they're doing it for tv (laughs) anybody that's actually doing it they don't want to pull it out of the oil because you're supposed to keep it in the oil until it hits a certain temperature depending on the steel so it becomes uh oh it's just it's for show and it, it, it is entertaining so i mean that's that's all part of it but and then like yeah as far as the temper it's more yeah it's just yeah it's just not flashy it's not it's not hollywood so i think that's a big reason why they they don't have they don't really show it and, and I, I don't really, I can't really understand why they don't speak of it because it should be, it is part of the process. So they should, they should talk about it. Yeah. It's, it's misleading coming from my standpoint as somebody that doesn't do blacksmithing. I didn't think that they actually did that on the show because they show them quenching it and then testing the blades pretty much. Well, right yeah. After. That's the misleading part. And I guess, to get back, yeah. yeah. So the, I guess to get back to what we, where we started was like, the the metal has to be you have to bring it to a certain hardness first to get everything strong but then you have to temper it back so that it's not brittle and you, the, the temper is where you figure out your kind of how tough it's going to be because if you don't temper it back enough then it's still going to be brittle and that's when you get the you know they swing and hit whatever and then you hear the ting 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 like it's mm-hmm. bouncing off onto the concrete but if you get it too hot on the when you're tempering it back, like you temper it back too far, then they go to hit something and then it bows over and just folds over whatever because it, it's too soft. Too soft, yeah. So you're trying to balance that, and and I don't have the answers for what what the exact numbers that people are looking for, but it's it's uh yeah I guess there's some yeah there's some fine art to it, but what are some things that wouldn't be a knife? Or a blade that would require that process in the blacksmithing world. Hammerhead, hammers and chisels, most definitely those two. Um, and your anvils, your anvils are generally have some sort of uh, like mine has tool steel on the top. There, there are quite a few out there that that have a tool steel top that's been been heat treated and and welded on, so that you get you get the right amount of. And that's where you, that's something that you're looking for, especially with an anvil. You want it to be durable and you don't want it to be brittle. You don't want it to be too hard so that if you were to strike your, your hammer on it, it either damages the hammer, which you, you'd rather damage the hammer than the anvil. But then you don't want the, the edges or the corners of the anvil to break off and then come back at you because then that's, you know, similar to a bullet. <laughs> huh. So it's, yeah, it's, so beginning, you don't need an oven. You don't need to do the tempering, or that's something you can do with your actual forge. Yeah, it's something that can be done with a forge, um, and it's something that takes time to learn. So the investment of a heat treat oven is is quite considerable. Like, I mean, it's not. You, you, I don't even know that you can buy a used one cheaply. Like, I think they're they're quite expensive. So, and you can't use like a conventional oven to get to the temperatures that you need well then that then therein lies the like the your tempering or your heat treat ovens are much more precise they'll hold at a temperature they're set up to really be very exact Mm -hmm. your typical oven in your home could overshoot by 100 degrees and then come back from there when you're when you're heat treating metal 
that hundred degrees could be could make a huge difference in the in the final product. So wow. it's interesting. So it becomes- How much? And this could be a topic for another day. I don't want to get too into the weeds here, but how much when you're working the metal are you me- are you measuring the temperatures? I hear you talk a lot about this temperature, that temperature. Whenever I've done it, it's just been if it's red hot, hit it. When it's not red hot anymore, put it back in the forge. Is there specific temps that you do certain things at? Maybe not you, but in general. Um. Yeah, I mean that gets more into the bladesmithing, which is not. Not my game, but I th- I think most people get at least what I've seen has been most people do do it more by feel. I say by feel, but it's more of the appearance of the steel. You're looking at the colors of the steel as to as to where you're at when you do, go to do a quench or or anything like that. So like you'll see it again on like the forge and fire, like when they bring a blade out and it's like a bright yellow, and they're putting it into the quench tank. That's too hot. Like that's generally you want it like in the dull, dull red, dull to bright red kind of situation. You get start and get into the oranges and yellows. It's, it's too hot. Now, do you know, like, like if I have, um, say a quarter inch piece of stock and I get it red hot, yep. is that the same temperature as say, um, a one inch piece and I get that one red hot? Would it be the same temperature? Like, is it red hot when it hits this temp or is it? It could be red hot because it's thinner. It could be at a lower temp. So the only thing that changes that color, in my experience, has been the type of steel. So you could have a piece of mild steel that's orange. It's still the same temperature, no matter the thickness. But if it's like stainless, it could be a little bit duller. I guess I don't have a whole lot of experience with it, but you could be a little bit cooler color wise and still be the same temp i got you if that if that that makes sense i guess i I feel bad for referencing forged and fire so much but well i I feel like that's the extent of my knowledge as far as blacksmithing goes so that's where my questions are coming from because i want to know if it's legit or not some of the guys before they quench they put a magnet up to it and i guess at the point where it loses its magnetism is when they think the temperature is correct to quench have you ever seen them do that yeah, I've seen them do that. I've like I say, I've never done it myself, but that's that's what they that's what they do to. So to, for next week, I want you to get on Forge and Fire, film a couple <laughs> episodes, and come on back and we'll talk about it. I feel so yeah, bad asking good. all these knife making questions for for our resident blacksmith <laughs> who's never made a knife. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's not a knife making blacksmith at no. all. So no. so basically, the the plant hooks that you made for your family. Didn't matter. Doesn't need tempering because it's going to get no force, no, no stress other than holding the weight. So you didn't do any of the fancy temperature. Yeah, no, that's, that's just, that was only like, just made them didn't, there's no heat treatment. There's no nothing. It's just making sure you leave enough steel in certain places to make sure it'll hold what you want it to hold. Gotcha. So the, the quenching thing, that's really only for knives or some sort of blade when they dip it in the oil. You yeah, don't do so that. Like you, you don't you have would, oil next to you just to have to quench stuff. Yeah, like I, I guess, and we are getting into the weeds here, but it, it's the only time you need to quench is for anything that you want to harden. So whether it's a knife, a hammer, chisel, those are kind of your three big ones that people will 
They what go would first. be? Yeah, but uh, maybe I'm asking the question wrong. Would there be a benefit? Say you were making a plant hanger, you know, or a coat hanger or whatever. Is there any benefit to hardening one of those? Well, or is there any downfall to hardening one of those? Well, I mean, for the one, you're also like you're not building a plant hanger out of 4140. Like you're building it out of mild steel. There's not enough carbon in that steel to really uh, do make, to yeah, really uh, harden anything. That's right. Okay, so it, it really doesn't. It really doesn't. It really doesn't matter. I mean, I those ones I I dipped them in water a few times just to uh, just so I could work with them like work one end or the other, depending on what the process I was doing at the time. So it wasn't, that's not really a concern or something that you really need to worry about when you're dealing with mild steel. Like it's, I didn't think so. I just figured it came up. I'd ask It's one of those questions I had about blacksmithing. So. No, it makes sense. I think it's good that me and you don't know anything about blacksmithing. <laughs> Cause we can ask a lot of questions. Uh, I'm just pulling the wool over your eyes. That's all it is. You trust guys. me. Trust me. As this goes on, you're going to learn how little I know. <laughs> I mean, that, that led me to another question. Like, I hate to say it, but I would want to make a knife if I got into this. And I'm just going to go into my random metal pit over here. I don't know what anything is. How do I know if it's high in carbon or not? So the only way I've seen that seems fairly reliable is the spark test. And then above that is actually sending it out, like sending it to someone to get tested. Those are kind of um, your spark test. I mean, you've got to hold it into a grinder and then watch the sparks go and figure out if if it's got enough uh, tail or flash at the end that usually tells you if there's some high carbon material in it. Hmm. So if you if it's really bright, but then if it gets really, really bright, then you got something like titanium, which like white hot sparks off the off of it which i've seen a few times okay. but yeah i mean honestly anything that you've probably got in your shop short of your spring steel well spring steel or your router like your router bits most of it is not going to be enough carbon to make a knife like you see a lot of people do um, saw uh, blades well yeah saw blades would be one um, like railroad spikes, people make knives out of those, but they're not, it's not high carbon steel. Like they might, some of them have an HC written on them or stamped in them. It's not enough to be a true, uh, like a really serviceable knife. It's a wall hanger as far as I'm concerned. I mean, they're, they're a great little project to figure out and form something with figure out how you're going to make a blade and get a shape out of a blade that you want, but it's not. Yeah, it's it's a showpiece. It's not a like you're not going to go skin an animal or you know butcher an animal with that with that blade. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, so if I find some metal, I'm going to send it to Tony and have him do the spark <laughs> test. <laughs> yeah, and I'm only well, going to send you a tiny little bit, so you'll have to hold it with your tongs. Yeah. So, all right, I think that's enough for me. Well, hold on <laughs> to, to wrap up everything you said because uh, I need to I need to summarize this so I can become Uh-oh. a blacksmith this winter. I need a forge. I'm going to go get Mr. Potato Head Forge. <laughs> Is that right? Volcano. <laughs> Volcano. Volcano. Get Mr. Volcano Head. I need that. This is the cheap. This is not the cheapest route, but it might be the e- easiest route. I'm going to get a hammer from Home Depot or look, one of the big box stores. I'm going to soften the edges with a grinder. Why's it got to be a box store? Why can't it be the local hardware store? 
it can be. Thank you. It definitely can okay. be. I'm going to ask them to soften the edges for me as well while I'm there. Okay. Good luck. I've got, I've got my fire. I've got my striker. Now I need my plate. I'm going to go and just hit it on the concrete outside. <laughs> don't do that. No, concrete I don't think will that start work. snapping and popping and breaking up on you. Okay. Well, I'm not going to go buy an anvil. Well, maybe I could because Harbor Freight has the anvil. All right. I'll get the Harbor Freight anvil. You there, get a piece of train track. Yeah, there's also the train track stuff, and then Where there's, do you get there, that legally? Well, then you just you're going to a scrapyard to get it legally. Oh, okay, gotcha. but then a scrapyard you could go in and say, you know, I need a big block of steel, and they'll go, okay, there's this round bar, like a three inch round bar that they have, or something, something like doesn't even have to be that big, like two to three inch work face. You can make tapers, and you can do everything with that like it doesn't have to be a doesn't have to be a huge piece because then you can build a stand to bring it up to the right height like it's nothing you don't have to have something that's 70 pounds if you got you know well i've seen people do it with two hammerheads put one in a post on the bottom not not hitting together (laughs) and then have that one as the anvil and then one that they're striking with so that's a good idea there, there's a million ways to skin a skin a cat. That's for sure. Well, well, there you have it. Come winter, you guys might see me doing some blacksmithing with my Mister Potato Head. Uh, we'll have to teach you something at Maker's Camp again. Yes, for sure. But as far as uh, anvils go, the railroad tracks I find, at least here, I can always find somebody who has a railroad track that can be used as an anvil. Like they already have it cut. And they're selling it as a, a railroad anvil. And they're yep. on Facebook all the time, Chad. And that has a flat side or is it kind of rounded? Or has it got both? Uh, I don't have one. I'm just saying I see them. I don't know. But I would assume the top is rounded. Yeah. So, right? yeah, you've got the the surface that, well, it's essentially an I-beam with a thicker top. But the bottom is flat, but it's very thin. Or uh, thinner, sorry. Okay. Then you've got your web that in the center and then the top that the train actually contact made contact with and that's thicker and then that's what most people turn into the top of their anvil but it's generally domed so it's not a flat surface so you usually have to put some work into it to to flatten it out okay so you can just do that with like an angle grinder to flatten it out or something yeah or just become the curved blacksmith curvy blacksmith (laughs) make everything curved yeah could work all right. Yeah. So, are we gonna move on to Chad and the uh, and your digital stuff, your lasers? Sure, absolutely. <laughs> well, and and like you said, there's many ways to skin a cat. So I'm gonna preface this pref preface preface this by saying this is just me saying it. It does not mean it's the best way, although it probably is. So I don't think any of us get ready and take best. notes. Absolutely did not think what I said was the way to, do, the absolute only way to do things. All right, good. So we've. I all think cut. all my semantics at the beginning of my <laughs> definitely cleared that up. So, yeah, so okay. we're we're all covered then. Nobody will listen to us as far as we're the experts or anything like that. But I, I would say the first thing that you would absolutely need, and if you can't get this, then just give up. You're going to need a computer because it's digital fab. You're not going to be able to do this stuff on your phone. Not that I know of at this point. 
because most of the machines. That's don't. not true. You even own a laser that works off of your phone. Okay, that's true. There is a laser that works off an app. Yes, but let's let's stay away from that for now. We'll go back to that later. Get yourself a computer. I'm going to recommend a PC because it seems to be that most of these CNC-related devices work best with Windows. Um, so get yourself a computer. It doesn't have to be all that great because I'm going to suggest that you kind of just stick with the 2D graphics at first if you're just getting started out. And I would say go ahead and install a program called Inkscape. So you, you guys are taking your notes. It's free. It's basically a good competitor to Adobe Illustrator. So on this program, you're able to create vector files. And vector files are essentially graphics that can be scaled up or down, and they don't lose any quality or they don't lose their ratio or proportions, basically. So that is a skill that you want to learn right off the bat is just how to create in the digital fab realm using that Inkscape program. And if you're just starting out on that, I would recommend this guy on YouTube. It's who I learned a lot of my stuff from. He's got a YouTube called Logos by Nick, and he's basically just a graphic designer, but he lays it all out very easily, and it's it's easy to follow along with him. So Logos by Nick on YouTube. And if you can't fall asleep, it's great to watch him because he's got a very calming voice. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so that's that's got us into the digital creation, but now we need to bring it from the computer to the actual world. And if I was just starting out, you can go as basic as just a printer, even just get yourself a printer and you can print out templates and you can glue those templates down onto either plywood or wood. And you can use like a scroll saw or something to cut it out, which is how I got started. Keith, do you have something to add? Well, yeah, if you don't even want to cut it out the way you're saying, if you use a laser jet and you print that image in reverse and you have a hot soldering tip like the iron with the flat face mm -hmm. you could put that down on a freshly sanded board or what have you and do a toner transfer yeah absolutely i've done that a number of times to get that lasered look on things since i don't have a laser yet sort of <laughs> that's that's definitely a good good trick to bring up and as far as that is, you can also get projectors so cheap. Um, if I'm doing larger projects, I'll pull out my little cheap projector, wait for it to get dark, project my image onto a piece of plywood and just trace it out by hand. So there's there's many ways to get your digital into the, the actual I've done that physical realm. Trick. Yeah, it works out good. Um, so there's that. But if you want to go a step further, I would say the, the first machine past the printer that I would suggest just to see if you're going to like digital fab would be one of these vinyl cutters. And it's basically just a machine. It is a CNC. It, it basically just moves a little exacto blade around on your material. Most of the time you're cutting out vinyl or paper and it's a good way to get started. And if you're, if you're also kind of a woodworker, it's a good way to kind of customize your, your woodworking projects as well, because you can make stencils or just put the vinyl directly onto the wood. And if you're liking it at that point, no big deal, because you've probably spent about $150 for a vinyl cutter. They're so cheap now. Um, if you're still liking it from that point, even though I went CNC router after that, I'm going to suggest you go laser. It's just simpler. It's 
it's, it's a little bit easier way to kind of get into things. So laser and the laser that I would recommend is probably that Ortur laser that I just got because it's a diode laser. It's got a good work area. I think it's 16 inches by 16 inches and it's a uh, very, very easy capable price point to get into. I think it's, it's sub $500. Is that right? Somewhere in there. Yeah. I just bought that one. It's, um, I bought it all kitted out and it came in under 500 with the, with the fourth axis. I think that's the way to go. Cause I got the, originally I got the JTEC for my CNC, which is just the diode laser itself. It doesn't move. So, and that was pretty pricey. Uh, the support with him is great. I think he's in Texas. You can call him up and he can help you, but I'm going to put my, my money on Ortur because it's, it's the whole package. It, it has everything that you need. Some may say it's made the best. <laughs> yeah, made the best. <laughs> Not sponsored, but kind of sponsored. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, get into lasering. See if you like it. What I, what I like about the diode lasers is they engrave really well. You can get super dark engravings on most materials, which is not as easy to do on a CO2 laser. Um, so what I would say is if you have that diode laser, you can start to prototype projects. It's not going to be as quick as, say, my big CO2 laser, but you can create it still anyways. And keep creating prototypes until you find customers that find something that you like. Because if you do have an item that pops off and starts selling like crazy, and I don't mean to get into the business talk. I hope this isn't boring. But um, if you find a customer's or a customer base and your dial laser can no longer keep up with it, that might be the time to think about investing into a CO2 laser that can basically do it four times faster and you'll also start to get the ability to cut through materials much better than what you can do on a diode laser as well. So a diode can't cut through? It can. I've done them, but I think the most that I did was probably an eighth inch, and it wasn't plywood. The best thing that I was able to cut through was probably like eighth inch hardwood. Surprisingly, for some reason, hardwood cut really well. So you might give that a shot. I was buying veneers off of uh, I think rockler.com you can get sheets of walnut and maple. So I, I started making keychains, and I was using my diode laser to make those keychains, and I was selling those and it was doing pretty well. Um, but the CO2 laser would just be so much quicker. So if you get like a production run, or if you get a re repeat customer that keeps coming back and back and you know, they're going to come back, that's when you can invest a little bit of money to kind of save time because we all know time is money. <sighs> You're digital fabbing at this point. I mean, we can keep going down the rabbit hole. The next thing I would say is look into CNC routers or 3D printers. The rabbit hole keeps going and it's going to keep keep going as well. But I think we're an hour in at this point, so. Yeah. Like a a 3D printer can be a pretty easy starter thing as well, can it not? I, I wish I had experience to tell you, but from someone gave me a 3D printer and it had a clogged nozzle. And I thought to myself, oh, it's going to be so easy to unclog this and get it working. There's a lot of variables to 3D printing, at least there was with my machine. The temperature of the bed, the temperature of the filament coming through the head, whether or not it's clogged, whether or not you can get your filament to stick to the bed. I would say that 3D printing, at least the machine that I had was not very user-friendly, but I know there are machines that are coming out 
that are much easier. Um, I know SLA is kind of a different style. It doesn't really use a filament. It uses a, a I think, vat of material. Yeah, I well, think the, the, the resin ones. Yeah. Yeah, the resin ones. I think the I think the burden to entry now is a lot easier than say maybe even three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I feel like the years ago when I looked into it, everything just seemed too finicky, you know? Like everything's suspended and one thing's off then nothing worked so Mm -hmm. but essentially it's it's very similar to you know what the the router's doing or the laser's doing it's just working in a three-dimensional field and it's instead of removing or being subtractive creation it's additive creation so you're adding material to create something on a 3d printer right so i wish i could add more to that tony but that's all i got no, it's all right. I just wanted to get you back for asking me about knives. <laughs> you, you, you got me. You got me there. Or cutting boards. Yeah, why are you putting screws in cutting boards? I'm not. You're going to kill somebody. They're going to cut into it and get metal flakes in their food. It's better than epoxy. Mm, probably. <laughs> Well, if you, we haven't caught up in your shops. I, Keith, I got questions for you because I've been watching you on Instagram. I don't know that you've actually posted anything, but you've got things going on in there. And I want to ask questions. You've been milling aluminum on your CNC. What? You just you just surpassed the master CNC. You are now our resident CNC master. Tell I me about been, it. How's it going? I have, I have been milling quite a bit of aluminum. It's for the same project. Uh, it's for the medallions. So I can't post too much, but I have given a little sneak peeks in my stories. Um, but yeah, it uh, I got some issues with my CNC that need to be fixed. Do tells. So I am, there's something wrong with the threaded rods. So everything's out of whack. So it's heating up the motors pretty good. Mm. But I got to charge through a couple more projects before I tear the whole machine down. Uh, so I have some more aluminum in the mill. And then I have four more medallions I have to make. And then it looks like I have a lull where I will tear the whole machine down and rebuild it. So it's been going through its bases. It's going to go through its bases a little more. Um, I'm glad it's holding up for you. I know you've got some pretty important jobs going. So Yeah, the aluminum, the aluminum is uh, very slow on my machine. Very, very slow. And, and like, it, that's what you found has worked the best is to kind of run it slow like that? Yeah, and I feel like I'm running it too slow because they tell you, be careful you run too slow because you can actually, uh, what's it called, bit welding, Mm. where you're not getting enough chips out, you know? So you'll actually weld the bit to the aluminum. I have not had that happen, but man, am I running slow. And I'm taking such a tiny depth of cut, you know? And I'm going by all the regular, the recommended feeds and speeds. But then I got to slow my machine down because I'm cutting small things out like logos and letters and stuff, you know, embossing them in, but I'm going an eighth inch deep. So, but as the machine is going, you can actually feel it. Like it, it doesn't look like it when it's going and there's nothing really holding it up. Like there's no binding or anything, but when it gets to the end and it releases off the cut, you ever so slightly, you could see the little machine move, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm putting a lot of strain on this machine every, every pass. Yeah. So I don't know how much more 
of the metal engraving I'm going to continue to do on this machine. I think it may be time for an upgrade. It yeah. seems like metal on like normal CNCs is pretty intensive for them. There's a lot of torsion on that vertical axis coming down. And depending on the length of your bits, I don't know if you've got long bits or not, but however long that bit is, is even more tension compounded over and over. So if you can get like really short bits, you might have better luck. I was using a really short bit for that reason. I actually bought some. I went on one of the websites that gets you the stuff today and (laughs) I bought... I bought a bunch of bits after I did the first carve and I decided not to use them because when I was looking into it, they said the tension from all the bits, but all the bits they have for metal are quite longer. And I don't know if that is for the machines that are designed for metal. Maybe they handle it better. Or, you know, if you put the coolant on them, I run it with no coolant because I'm just doing aluminum, but mm-hmm. I wonder if they're for like drilling out holes or things like that. I guess that would be less intensive than actually moving the the cutter over well, that the material. Be. That could be. Yeah. That's really interesting. I've got a lot to learn from you because I don't do much of that. The most metal I cut is just these little plates that I do for my mater- military plaques, and it can be cut out with one pass. So <laughs> I think you're doing quarter inch, or how thick are you going on? I was doing quarter inch aluminum placards. Um, and I was engraving them with a V-bit one-eighth inch down. Nice. So halfway and down. How'd the tip of your okay. V-bit do? Did it chip off, or are you still at a perfect point? It wasn't perfect when I restarted it. Okay. So the client asked me for um like the night before. He's like, do you happen to have any aluminum laying around? Because we had talked about doing it a while back. And I was like, yeah, I have some. And he's like, well, what do you have? So I went out to my scrap bin and I found some quarter inch plate and we decided to use that. So I went and ordered bits right away. And then I was like, I don't know if they're going to be here in time to do it. So I went to my drawer and I found a 90 degree V bit that I didn't care about. And I said, well, here goes nothing. You know, I knew I already had to rebuild the machine before I started the aluminum. So I'm like, What's the worst that happens? I got to buy a couple more parts when I rebuild it, you know? So I threw the bit in. I looked online at the proper speeds and feeds for that bit, and I went for it. And I'm sure I was way conservative. And it worked. It took me hours, but it worked. All right. And I don't know if the bit was broken before we started or not, but. When I was done, I wanted to do just a little outline of the two by two square and it did it, but it was so faint. The material I had had the bluing, the aluminum bluing, you know, that like whatever the machinist used, that blue stuff they put on metal so you can like scratch it. What is it called? Dicom. Yeah. So the one side had all that dicom on there and it cut through that. But the minute you touched it, 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 it was such a light pass. (laughs) That so I don't know if the tip was gone, so mm. it didn't get deep enough, or if I didn't set it to go around deep enough, which is probably what happened because I didn't want to have to have a V bit groove taken to my thing. I just wanted to mark it so where I needed to cut it out, but really it worked cool. out. Well, I'm I'm gonna 
you can be my guinea pig. I'm going to challenge you. Next time you put a brand new bit in there and you're going for Illumina again, don't run it conservatively. Keep it at the recommended speeds. My hunch, and I could be wrong, but I'm afraid, like you were saying earlier, how they can kind of weld. I'm afraid that if you run it too slow, it could potentially be overheating because the RPMs are so high and dulling the, the bit itself. And once it gets dull, then you won't be able to go up to those normal speeds. So be my guinea pig and try it. I, I'll do it, but I don't know that this bit I put in there, to give you an idea, I got it with uh, probably two or 300 other bits from an estate sale. So it was already dull. <laughs> and it was not clean when I, when oh, I chucked okay. it up. Gotcha. So I can't say that it was clean or not. Mm-hmm. When it was done, it gave some pretty impressive results. Gotcha. Yeah, from what you showed, it looked like it was a fairly nice cut. Like, it looked pretty clean. I mean, it was a fairly close-up shot that you had sent us, so. Yeah. I mean, that, no. does, that doesn't look like a bit that's got a bunch of chips out of it. It might not be the cleanest at the tip, but the the, the, other, the sides of the bit The other were parts okay. of the flutes are, look, look like they're probably pretty good with the, the surface finish that you had. Yeah. So, and I ran two on that bit, and I have a couple more to go. So we'll see. I don't know. Very cool. Branching out into new materials, new world. And just so you know, Chad, aluminum does not make a good knife. (laughs) (laughs) Can I sneak that into the airport? Oh, sorry. Too soon. Too soon. No. (laughs) Tony, what you got going in your shop? We might need to keep it a little shorter than what Keith just talked about because we're already at an hour and 15 minutes. So, Tony, you got anything going on? Uh, actually, my shop is probably going to be quiet for the next little bit. Um, I have uh, some renovations going on in the house. So, oh. we have to... Uh, I am not a finished carpenter, so I'm letting the professionals do it. But I am definitely a demo guy. <laughs> I can see so I can wreck stuff. So, <laughs> I will be doing some light demo in the house, ripping up well, some next- floors. Next week, I want some good stories. Oh, yeah. Yeah, stories of how I put a nail through my foot, that kind of stuff. (laughs) Yeah, sounds fair. But yeah, no, right now, it's uh, just got to rip up some hardwood, uh, some trim, got to tear some doors out. I got a bunch of stuff to do. So there's quite a bit of work, but we'll uh, hopefully get a little time in the shop, but I don't really have anything planned for the shop for the next week. More uh, more of this, more of the uh, demolition. How about you, Chad? You got anything for the next week? Well, I'm finishing up this big venue sign for the the wedding venue in California. Um, It's almost done. It's almost out of the shop. And it was interesting because it was bigger than what my CNC could do. So I had to do it in pieces. And somehow I got lucky enough that everything lined up perfectly. Um, What do they call that? Tiling, right? Tiling, yeah. Which I didn't... is this the first time you tiled? No, I've tiled before, but this is the first time I've tiled on a circle, which made it a little bit trickier. And it's a front and back sign too. So it's got the engrave- engraving on both sides, which made it extra complicated. <sighs> so it was essentially four different times to carve that all had to be perfect. And one of them did mess up because one of my measurements was off. So I had to go back and remill some stuff. and redo the entire bottom side of the sign but that's that's all in the past now at this point so i'm moving forward 
but the X carve is capable of doing big projects. It's just a little tricky sometimes. Um, other than that, you talked about home renovation <laughs> over a year ago, my wife went to the beach and I said, I was going to redo the bathroom, put in a new sink, um, paint the walls, change the toilet out. It's like a, a laundry bathroom. Well, when I got into it, I found out that the toilet had been leaking into the subfloor for probably longer than we've lived there. So all the subfloor and some of the joists were actually rotted out. So what was going to be a quick two-day project turned out to me tearing out all the subfloor, which for some reason, it was two inches thick of different layers of flooring. Apparently, they just kept putting flooring on top of flooring on top of flooring. So Sorry, long story. Generally, that means one of those layers is asbestos, and you probably should not have disturbed it. <laughs> so that's True. why I've been coughing this ever since then. Yeah. So we're, we're back to new subfloor in there, and then I put the washer and dryer back in, and that was the biggest mistake ever because now we're just using it as a laundry. The toilet sewage line is just plugged up. There's no sink. It just looks like an unfinished room. Well, she's going to the beach this weekend. And I'm going to see if my mother will watch my kids during the day. And I'm going to try to finally get back into it and get it knocked out. But I'm going to be doing some things I've never done before as far as tiling. So I'm a little nervous. You know what the best way to tile is? The Lame. best way. I do not know. The best way. Get somebody yeah. else to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Make that, I'm with make, you. The, make that phone call and get it done. I may. I may consider it. That's what happened with the plumber. I had to call a plumber for this job as well because I fell through the joist and hit the copper pipes. The amount of time it's going to take you to tile the bathroom, which is probably what? Five by five, maybe? Thankfully, five it's by small. Eight. Yeah, it's probably five by six. It doesn't matter what the size is. The amount of time it's going to take you to do that, you could have hired somebody and been right where you're at in the shop making coasters on your laser to sell to pay for that guy with no headache and a happy wife when she gets home. It's worth it. <laughs> Spend the money. Make the call. Yeah, I may do it. I should probably call him now to make sure I can get somebody. Cause Technically, you should have called last week when you knew she planned the trip. Yeah, or maybe a month ago. Because I know handyman tile installers are kind of hard to get now these days. So we'll see how that goes. So pray for me especially if I end up doing it myself. <laughs> drywall too. Got to redo some drywall. But on a positive note, I found some really sketchy plumbing because of this. I just found out last week, the, the sewer line from the tub going to the sewer line to the, the street wasn't connected. Sorry, I need to stop talking. I know, I know. But it wasn't connected. And if it wasn't for this renovation water from our tub would have just kept pouring into our foundation for many, many years. That, and there was a, a, what is it called? There was like a gas vent or something that was unattached as well. So I'm finding all kinds of dangerous things because of this renovation. <laughs> so there are some positives. So anyway, you can email <laughs> your questions to us. Yeah. Oh, one all more renovations thing. go to Chad. <laughs> all home renovations can go to Chad. Uh, but no, you can email us at at the Working Hands Podcast. No, it's not the Working Hands Podcast. It's just Working Hands Podcast. I figured you get it right. I, 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 the way I was phrasing it, and before you rudely interrupted me, I was going to get it right. You can email us at 
the Working Hands Podcast Gmail account. Which you just is... said the Working Hands. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Go on. No, I was going to correct myself. You're confusing it's, me. It's Working Hands Podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Working Hands Podcast. You can find Chad at Chad's Custom Creations, Tony at Woodland Iron, and myself at Blackthorn Concepts. Until next week, have a good one. Ciao. See ya.